Hi there, FPL managers. Welcome to the seventh episode of the FPL Optimized Podcast. This is the podcast in which we combine analytics with the good old eye test. I am Bas, the casual manager, and my co-host is Sertop, the data scientist. Data or grass, or data and grass, that's the question. Thanks for listening again, everyone. If you listened to us before, it's great to have you back. And if you're listening to us for the first time, then welcome. And we hope you'll be coming back as well. Time is flying. This is already our seventh episode and the season didn't even start yet. So we've been busy. It's great to see that people are listening to our show and are also appreciating it. Thanks again. And feedback is always welcome. Don't hesitate to contact us. So, okay, let's see what's on the agenda for today. Uh, Sertop, anything you wanted to cover specifically? Yes, thanks, Bas. And indeed, also from my side, uh, welcome to our listeners. Uh, For today, I would like to continue a bit on the topic of fixtures and team strength. We already talked about it last week, but there is more to say about it. Actually, there is a whole lot to say. So this will cover most of today's podcast, but of course... (laughs) <laughs> we will also answer some questions as usual. But before I start, did anything happen on the transfer market this week, Bas? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. Um, it's an uh, yeah, it's a section we introduced to the podcast last week. True. So I'd be happy to take you through uh, it again, and I'll be looking through the transfer window and tell you what happened. Um, so yeah, we're keeping track of the most interesting confirmed transfers, both in and out to potentially identify some fantasy targets. And we won't be going into any of the transfer rumors because then this section could get quite long. So yeah, I went through the news again. Here are a few that stood out to me in alphabetical order by team. So starting with Arsenal again. So the Gunners are very active Mm -hmm. and uh, probably more signings to come. Uh, Last week we talked about Marquinhos, who was a young uh, Brazilian uh, striker, attacker they signed. Uh, And one that got confirmed as well last week after we recorded was the transfer of uh, Fabio Vieira, a 22-year-old Portuguese midfielder who's coming over from FC Porto. Mm -hmm. So again, I think one to keep an eye on. For Liverpool, we mentioned Mane last week. It wasn't completely confirmed back then, even though, uh, you know, based on the rumors, we knew that it was quite close. And indeed, I think it was the day after the the transfer got officially confirmed, Mane has left uh, Liverpool and he joined Bayern Munich. So that's definitely an iconic player who's leaving the Premier League. Uh, but, you know, he was often low-owned in FPL, mainly due to the price point. And, you know, most people went for Salah instead. So I think for the game, it might not matter too much. And with the game, I mean FPL. But, of course, for Liverpool, yeah, you never know. It's uh, it's a change to the team. And with many new players coming in, uh, it's, it's always difficult to judge uh, whether there can be an impact. I think, yeah, we can rely on Klopp. He has a good track record. Yeah, he often uh, has proven that he can successfully integrate new players. Take, for example, Jota, who uh, also came in and already made a difference. But it's still something to keep an eye on, I think. Uh, you know, what's the impact on Salah? And are there any of the names, the new names, who are going to take over the important role that Mane played uh, for the team? Let's see. Then uh, Newcastle. 
Um, an interesting signing from the Magpies with uh, goalkeeper Nick Pope coming over from the relegated side Burnley. And I think this can be an interesting uh, one from an FPL perspective as mm-hmm. Newcastle was quite decent in defence during the second part of last season. And we all know the reputation of Pope. He's a very reliable goalkeeper. So, yeah, let's see what his price tag will be. Could be could be an interesting option. Then Nottingham Forest, the new side in the league. They signed an attacker from uh, the German Bundesliga. It's the Nigerian international Taiwo Awoniji. He's coming over from uh, Union Berlin. Uh, and he scored 20 goals last season and cost the club a record fee of 17.5 million pounds. So, yeah, sound, looks like an, an important and big signing for the club and potentially uh, could be a good bench option FPL-wise. I think it can be one to keep an eye on as well. Again, depending on the price point, of course. And then uh, I'll finish with Wolves, where there is not much news, but I did notice a few familiar names that have left the club. Uh, Marcel, Saiz, and also Hoover are names that uh, surely are known to most FPL managers out here. Uh, You might have either uh, owned one or maybe have considered them in the past, I'm pretty sure, but that's uh, no longer needed because they have left the club. So yeah, that was a quick look at the transfers. Um, so with that out of the way, let's move to the next part. And as Sertal mentioned, we will talk about team strength, or actually he will talk about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, how can you evaluate fixture difficulty from an analytical perspective? Sertal, we are listening to you. Yes, and just before that, thanks for covering the transfers, Pass. Looks like a very active transfer season, right? Although I haven't been paying attention in recent years. So would you say it's a normal transfer season or is it more active than usual? Uh, it's difficult to say. I think the, the mercato, as people call it, started a bit earlier maybe because also the season starts earlier. Um, and yeah, the teams have to be ready for it. Yeah. So we can see quite some activity already. Um, also, of course, last year it was after the, the first COVID uh, season. And I think maybe some clubs, uh, you know, might have less cash to be uh, using for, for, for transfers. So that, that maybe brought the activity a bit down. Um, and yeah, what you also often see is that you need a few big transfers to get things rolling. For example, you know, City buys Haaland from Dortmund. And then with that money, Dortmund has bought uh, Halag from Ajax. And now Ajax has some money as well to look for a replacement. And probably they will sign Bergwijn from uh, from Spurs. So, you know, that, that's how it often goes. You need a few big transfers to happen and, and then the rest will follow. And I think, yeah, there's still a lot more to come. Because uh, mind you, it's still two full months until the end of August, which is the deadline. Um, so, yeah, but don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> okay, I see. Thank you. Well, I wasn't able to pay attention to most transfers except obvious ones and I'm eager to see how the friendlies will turn out so maybe we can have some idea about which players will be good FPL assets to have. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, let me start talking about the fixture difficulty and team strengths now. Okay. 
I believe fixtures are one of the most important aspect of FPL, obviously even more important than form, I should mm -hmm. say. Even a player with a bad spell can have a good game against a weak opponent, so mm -hmm. measuring how difficult a fixture is one of the first things that any analytical player do in FPL. Mm -hmm. and it's a deeper discussion whether form exists or not, but assuming it does, mm. uh, things that are specific to a player is hard to measure when using analytics. But at team level, stuff are easier to measure because you are uh, combining all those stats together. So okay. if there's anything, analytics have more chance of getting it right. It is team mm -hmm. level assessment. It is more difficult for a person to assess an entire team than an individual player. But it is the other way around for analytics, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm listening. <laughs> because yeah, you know what's often said in football is that your best uh individual players might not make up the best team. Mm -hmm. Um there's more to consider always. For example, the, the team chemistry between players or you know the willingness on the pitch to help each other. And I think, uh, especially for national teams, this is always a big consideration for, for the managers. Like if you're managing a, a big uh, country like Brazil or Argentina, or also in Europe, you know, big footballing nations like France or Germany or England, and yeah, the, the list goes on. Uh, the most difficult part of the job is, I think, not to pick the best 11 players, but to pick the 11 ones that will best play together uh, as a team. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to to hear what you, what you can tell us about it and and to understand how analytics could help here. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, most of the effort because of it goes to analyzing teams rather than you know players. Of course, mm -hmm. it is different for scouting, but a player's performance is affected a lot by the team's strength too. Yeah. So talking about team strength, so there are different ways to measure it. You can have a very basic model fairly easily, which I will talk about a bit. I was spending my time last week to, you know, how those to see how those models can be built. Okay. And by the way, I know lots of people are doing similar models, and some of those models are more detailed. And okay. the model I will mention here, I will cover only basics of it, but. Yeah, if you are listening to this episode and have your own way of assessing team strength and fixture difficulty, and if you think it seems to be performing well, we would like to hear it. So feel free to tweet to us. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And the transfer season makes things a little bit difficult because team strengths are usually measured by checking the game results between teams. Obviously, mm -hmm. during off-season, there are no games. And mm -hmm. even if there are friendlies, they are more like, you know, trying different formations, not actually you know, teams are trying their hardest. Um, yeah. So think like chess. So when two teams play against each other, it gives us a new data point about offense and defense strength of both teams. And, okay. and note that it's a continuous process. So you keep updating these strengths over the season. Mm. And uh, like, for example, things like not having a center back will hurt your defense, obviously. So your defense rating will go down and down yeah. and how fast so that that's also an issue and depending on what information you are trying to capture uh, this update in team, team strengths might be fast or slow okay and just to start in my model i have used 538's club soccer ratings page 
Uh, they have yeah. ratings for every team. I think we have mentioned in the last episode yeah. too. They have offense and defense ratings for each team. And these ratings indicate how many goals a team can score or concede when they play against an average soccer team. And what I do is I filter out all the Premier League teams, uh, normalizing their offense and defense ratings to the league average. Mm-hmm. And, and the league average is around 1.38 or 1.37 goals uh, per, ga- uh, per game per team. Okay. And so then you find an approximate strength against an average Premier League team value this way. Then... Okay. To assess a fixture difficulty, you can combine the team's offense rating with the opponent's defense rating. So here hmm. you can scale opponent's defense rating compared to the league average. So what what's happening here is you are producing a number on how many mm-hmm. goals, let's say, Liverpool can score to an average Premier League team. And then okay. you are checking the op- opponent's defense if they are right. better or worse than the league average. And mm-hmm. then you use those two numbers to come up with an average number of goals that Liverpool is expected to score. So obviously it's okay. a fractional number. And you can do the opposite for defense too. And yeah. so, yeah, at the end you will have two numbers. And by the way, you can also adjust these numbers using the home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some years it was more uh, ob- obvious than other seasons, but yeah, you can discard that part too. Okay. So that sounds like uh, quite a lot of analysis. And, mm-hmm. and I was yeah wondering, um, yeah, the purpose. I think the purpose is clear, but how does it compare like to just checking how teams are normally categorized by difficulty and assess it in that way? Yeah, so when you categorize teams based on, you know, difficult fixture, normal fixture, and easy fixture, yeah. uh, it will leave out some important details because when you say a difficult fixture, uh, it might be difficult in terms of defense, but maybe not so difficult in terms of offense. Mm. So because some teams have better defense than their offense. So, yeah. and also when you have these numbers, you can actually calculate things like probability of a clean sheet or you can even calculate probability of you know trashing your opponent because that was also a topic we yeah. discussed earlier you know probability of hole yeah so it helps yeah. a lot when you are comparing a team with only say one very difficult game compared yeah. to a team with two moderately difficult game in their fixture so is it mm. worse to have only you know all the easy mm-hmm. games except one very difficult game so suppose yeah. they are playing against city or a team with two moderately difficult games. So yeah. so that part might be a little bit difficult to analyze, but when you have the numbers, it's relatively easier, I believe. Yeah, okay. And just to give an example, the first fixture of Arsenal is against Crystal Palace at away. And mm-hmm. when I used the, the technique I mentioned before, it's giving 1.11 goals for Arsenal in that yeah. game and 1.02 goals for Palace. Yeah. So and these numbers are subject to change until season starts with the you know transfers and friendlies of yeah. course, but it course. gives us an idea how close that game will be. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, Arsenal's uh, game week four fixture against Fulham gives two point zero two for Arsenal and zero point ninety eight for Fulham. Yeah. So and so there's a bigger gap there, and you you are more confident about how that game will go. So. Okay. 
and we assume yeah. goals follow the same distribution, a Poisson distribution. And since mm-hmm. you know goals are rare, we have mentioned mm-hmm. it before. So yeah. then you can do a detailed analysis using these numbers. Okay. Wow. And, and yeah, so here is what I have found based on these uh, on the current values and this method. First, okay. you know, the basics. The city has the best offense in the league. And mm-hmm. they are expected to score 2.02 goals to an average opponent, the highest. And Nottingham Forest has the worst offense, 0.97 expected goals against an average opponent. Yeah. Liverpool has the best defense in the league with 0.45 goals conceded from an average opponent. And mm. Southampton has the worst defense with 2.08 expected goals conceded from an average opponent. But okay. yeah, let's focus our attention to the first eight game weeks because league averages are good, but it doesn't yeah. give us the <laughs> the information we need to start the game. And I'm checking on the eight game weeks because we will have an international break after game week eight. Right. Uh, so yeah, we will probably be using our wild card around maybe that time or like even if we are waiting for the um, the World Cup. After World yeah. Cup, we will have probably injuries and other stuff to take care of. Yeah. And if you check clean sheet probabilities for each game, Liverpool has the best average clean sheet probability. Uh, it is 65% over eight game weeks. So that's right. the average of clean sheet probabilities, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then City has the second best, and then Chelsea follows. So that nothing surprising there. No, indeed. But Brighton yeah. is fourth with forty okay. percent average probability of clean sheet in the first eight game weeks, which is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and City has the best average goal scoring probability, and goal scoring probability is based on you know scoring at least one goal, uh, with eighty six percent. Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal follows, and then we have Brighton uh, again with seventy eight percent. Then comes Brentford with 77%. So I think Brighton has the best opening fixtures, by the way. So I won't hmm. be surprised if their players will be popular among analytics players. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, taking a note here. Uh, consider Brighton options. <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> um, I also checked best probability of scoring five or more goals. So trashing the opponent. So yeah. Liverpool surprisingly has the lead with 44.9%, uh, slightly ahead of City with 44.3%. Right. Then Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal follows, and mm-hmm. then comes Brentford. This one mm-hmm. is not surprising too, because Brentford, in my opinion, has the second best starting fixtures after Brighton. Okay. And Arsenal has the third best fixtures in, in, within this eight game weeks, by the way. So as you see, this is slightly different than other fixture trackers out in Twitter. Most people think mm. Arsenal has the best fixtures, but I think values okay. are very close. Brighton and Brentford is slightly leading for now. Values will probably change after Arsenal's transfers are confirmed yeah. and all that. Okay. Yeah, but I'm I'm updating my note. So it's Brighton and Brentford. <laughs> Those are <laughs> a few teams to look at for game week one. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So this analysis is also helpful to understand what analytics players will probably lean towards during the season, especially at the beginning. So I also compared these team strengths uh, from 538 um, 
mm-hmm. you know, they, it's order to uh, Holy Shands fixture difficulty rating in Twitter because it was one of the most popular one. And here's yeah. what I have found. So, in the, the that fixture ticker, there are three colors, red, uh, white, and green from mm-hmm. most difficult to easiest fixtures. And as far as I see, Crystal Palace is the most underrated team in, in here. So, because I believe they will be a popular pick for analytical players after the initial period because yeah. they're fixtures in the first eight game weeks are really tough. They are playing against Arsenal, Liverpool, and City within four weeks, actually. Okay. Um, well, it's it's good that their fix- difficult fixtures are all clustered together, so it mm. will be more of a case to buy Palace players later. Yeah. And so Holy Striker shows them as green, uh, meaning they are in the easiest fixture difficulty group, but data shows they are better in defense compared to actually Manchester United and Leicester and mm. other in the second category by color, the white category. And after that, I think Aston Villa is also a little bit underestimated too. Again, their fixture is not the best initially. Yeah. We will have more data when it, it is time to buy players from these teams. But mm. yeah, I expect a good performance from them. And okay. finally, I compared first eight game weeks to teams average strength to see which teams have unfavorable fixtures compared to their expected average performance. Mm-hmm. And so Palace, Crystal Palace has the worst offensively, then comes Fulham and Bournemouth. Okay. Uh, teams with easier than usual starting fixtures are Brentford, Chelsea yeah. And Brighton, <laughs> all the same teams. Yeah. yeah, there they are again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Defensively, same three teams have the tough uh, fixtures, and on the other hand, Leeds, Leeds United, Brentford, and Arsenal has the easier than usual fixtures, and easier than usual meaning, I am checking the rate of how difficult fixtures in the eight game week compared to the season average. So, all right. Although, well, Leeds United's ratings. Offense ratings will drop with Rapinha's departure, though. So, yeah, but we wouldn't be talking about transfer rumors. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> it's not confirmed. True, true. But uh, I mean, yeah. Thanks a lot for the analysis. It's a, it's a lot of great work. It's it's really super interesting. Uh, and I'm sure, like I was doing to take notes. I'm sure many uh, uh, other casual managers have been taking notes uh, while you were speaking. Uh, and yeah, and as you mentioned in previous episodes, or actually I think it was last week, uh, it's so important to get your game week one uh, team right, so you can be off to a to a good start. Uh, so again, I'm sure your analysis will have helped many of us. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, true. I said yeah, I won't be talking about rumors, but well, yeah, if Rapinha leaves, it will certainly affect Leeds' strength. No, Just yeah, wanted obviously. to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will yes. update this probably when we get yeah. closer to the season start. Yeah. Um, yeah, by the way, I want to give a shout to three people on Twitter here. Okay. Uh, FPL underscore Chase or Robert produced expected points data for all the teams. If you were wondering about what analytics people's perception of teams look like, mm. and I will try to share a link to it uh, on the, in Twitter. So instead of team string, as is, Chase is using underlying stats based on non-penalty expected goals. Mm. And I have asked him a few questions about his methodology. 
And well, as you see, there's no single approach to these things. So everyone mm -hmm. has their own recipe. And he also includes actual goals scored uh, considered in both offensive and defensive ratings to yeah. ratings of the teams. Okay. And he mentioned that he updates team strengths quicker than most other models, not using any home field advantage too. So yeah, I would recommend checking his tweet on this. Okay. And the second person is V underscore Rogue or Jamie. Uh, yeah. One of the hosts of our rival podcast, Corridor mm -hmm. of Uncertainty. He's nah, one of the friendly rivalry. Yeah, friendly rivalry. rivalry yeah, let's say that. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the people who spends a lot of time on team strength models. He keeps them updated and uh, regularly shares about his findings and, okay. in general, a great account to follow on this topic. Mm -hmm. And. And most of the analysis I have mentioned above is performed using his approach, actually. I was asking him questions about it. So thank okay. you, Jamie, for all the help. Wow. Mm -hmm. And finally, the FPL Kiwi, or Ralph, is the person to ask about these kind of team strength analysis. He also do predictive modeling. So I know mm -hmm. he has lots of experience on team strength models, and he's very helpful if you have a question about uh, his approach, as always. I think there's some reward if you do these kind of analysis by yourself. So I tried it for this episode and I think it was yeah. fun. So I will definitely yeah. recommend. Fun, I like it. All right, cool. <laughs> well, we keep saying there are so many great FPL content creators and I think this uh, just proves it again. It's really quite amazing. And I'll make sure uh, we also give some shout outs on, on Twitter as well. All right, so let's move on to the next part of today's episode. And as usual, we'll be answering some Twitter questions. Mm -hmm. The first one came in from FPL Masterpiece, and he asked, what are the main obstacles that stop us from quantifying the eye test to be used as an input? So what do you think on that sort of? Yeah, you know how newspapers are giving a rating or you know stars to players based on their game performance sure. right yeah yeah those yeah. are kind of quantified eye test for me so yeah, because yeah. it's also yeah. very different in each one but well i'm trying to think what eye test might bring that data doesn't normally do uh, mm. we talked about it a little bit but things like maybe like a good cross even if your teammate mm. fails to give you the pass it probably goes unnoticed in data. Since you have never gotten the ball, mm. then never took a shot of it, uh, uh, after that. Also, you know, some goals are not recorded due to offside when the decisions are turned by VAR. Mm -hmm. Well, you can argue that in another day it could have been a goal, but in that case, maybe it's a tiny bit uh, offside, just yeah. a little bit. And so, and it goes unnoticed too. So we mm. don't record those. So you don't, you won't see the XG out of it, for example. Yeah. Okay. And data companies, as far as I know, do not record them like this, mm. but it is something you can perhaps add. Obviously, it will be difficult for you to add, you know, what's the XG on that attempt? You know, you mm -hmm. don't have the model to measure it. But mm. the bigger question is, Whose view is the most objective in these eye tests? Because everyone yeah. have a different opinion. 
And we often hear two different opinions for the same player in the same game. Like, think a player with plenty of big chances wasted. Okay? Yeah. Some people will say he was a, he was good and looked quite focused and, you know, it's only a matter of time until he starts scoring because of the chances yeah. he got. But some other people will say his finishing is terrible. <laughs> it yeah. is very apparent when you watch him. So whose yeah. eye test should we consider here and quantify? So, I mean, I'm open to suggestions, mm. though. I would love to hear if there are any good ways of converting eye test to numbers. But, mm. yeah, I mean, do you have anything to add to that, Lars? Um, well, the only thing I could add is, I think for me, someone's track record can play a role. But then, yeah, we're talking more again about data, not really eye test. But, I mean, you know, if, if Kane or Vardy... You know, even when they blank for three or four games, you you can still be quite sure that at some moment the the goals will come again. So yeah, you can keep the faith. But for other players, it's more difficult to assess, especially if they are newer to the game. Like we had uh, Ivan Tony last season. You know, he had a good record in the championship, but yeah, it's not something to rely on in in the Premier League. And I think yeah, we'll have that again with with Mitrovic coming back, yeah. <laughs> a player that many people got two seasons ago because he had a really good track record, uh, yeah, in the championship. But then you know he didn't score too much in the Premier League, so I don't think he will be that popular this time. But uh, maybe he will surprise us. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right, we're moving on to the next question. Uh, this one came in from Trophy FPL. Uh, and he says, I was watching uh, Raheem Sterling missing a few one versus one uh, opportunities a couple seasons back. And he says, when I checked it, it was not registered as a chance or a big chance because the keeper got to him quickly uh, before he could take the shot. Yet, you know, if you think about it, a one versus one is a superior chance. It's it's more, you know, it, it's, it's more superior than, than a shot, let's say. Um, so has anything changed and would analytics pick this up as an amazing chance? What, what, what do you know about it, Turtle? Yeah, as far as I know, the answer is no. You might see it in the data as a 1v1 chance mm -hmm. in some sources probably, but not mm -hmm. sure if it would be recorded as a big chance if he didn't take the shot. Right. I mean, this question also aligns with the discussion we just had. It is true yeah. that by failing uh, to you know, record this opportunity, the data-only yeah. players will probably miss a critical information about that particular player. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would think a good predictive modeler used this piece of information in mm. their model. I mean, in the greater scale, a single 1v1 chance might not be that important. So mm. not including it won't result in saying that his performance is terrible because he's likely to get other chances if he's a good player. That's what right. I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I would like to think that he would get some kind of, like, a reward in predictive models due to his good positioning. Mm. I mean, raw data might not show that case as a big chance or mm -hmm. doesn't rec record its expected goal out of it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's getting better. Now we have stuff like expected threats, uh, and I think we will keep having keep getting new underlying stats, new categories, but at least for now, and as far as I know, um, yeah. yeah, maybe in future we, when we get better to assess players in such cases, like losing ball to a 1v1 or goal not recorded 
due to <laughs> VAR. I mean, those mm. might be included in data later, but not for now, as far as I know. But yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, indeed. It's a great question. Thank you again. And it reminded me also of a, a recent report I read by StatsBomb. I think it was on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It talked about various improvements they made to their XG model. And I'm not sure if this particular case is, was covered, but it's something to check again and come back on. And at least I thought it was really interesting to read because we were talking about XG before. And from what you explained to me, I understood some of the flaws it still has. So I think, yeah, I find it really interesting to to read. And, and it's good to know that updates are constantly being made uh, to the model, at, at least mm -hmm. in this example by this one uh, provider. Yep, that's great. All right, there's another question. FPL at Shitna. And I'm I'm worried that I'm not pronouncing it, <laughs> pronouncing <laughs> it correctly. Sorry for that. But uh, the real name, Brad Taylor. Uh, and I think he finished FPL as the third in OR last season. So that's amazing. And thank you for, uh, you know, sending a question to us. He was asking, after expected minutes, what do you think are the most challenging subjective choices for modelers? What's your opinion? Uh, yeah, I couldn't stop myself and replied on Twitter a bit, but to have it on the record, let me repeat what I have said. And I will try to add a bit more. And Brett is an amazing FPL player, by the way, has a really good understanding of the game and his approach to data and analytics is the ideal way to play FPL, in my opinion. I mean, it might okay. even be the optimal way. Hmm. Uh, I would recommend to have a look at his interview in Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel. Okay. And I feel like we are very close to having a data-centered FPL winner soon. Us. I'm just saying. Okay. It won't yeah. surprise Let's me see. if we have. No, no, it wouldn't surprise me either. Let's see. Yeah, so... Okay, answering the question. So most challenging subject is the lack of data. And this leads to a few problems. First, if a player is playing in a different role than usual, we usually don't know what to expect. Would it mm -hmm. make his stats better or worse? We usually don't have an idea. It is because predictive models often use existing data to predict future games, obviously. And on the way to overcome this problem is maybe simulating the game based on uh, players stats well underlying stats but that would require someone to sit down and assess every aspect of a player one by one i mean you mm. can do it in football manager perhaps <laughs> so you can put yeah. a player to a position that he never played before but i mean it's very hard yeah. to replicate in real life so models will be off and well as a person we will be off too like if someone asked us like what if you know I don't know, like Messi plays as a defender. I mean, that's a difficult question to answer. We don't know. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> so new players are also a part of the problem because of the same reason. We don't have data. We don't know if they will be, you know, playing well in the new system that they are playing mm -hmm. in now. Uh, similarly, even within the same team, suppose not a new player, the team stays the same, but if the court changes the formation this season... Yeah. And if he changes the responsibilities a bit, it will affect yeah. numbers too. And I mean, yeah. related to this again, each model has an update speed, uh, as we have mentioned. So new data mm -hmm. points, like a better position to play for a player, 
it will increase the offensive output of the player, but how fast do you need to update your model in that case? Yeah. That is a subject of choice. And hmm. how much important is the new data? If you change values too fast, it will be exposed to noise, as mm -hmm. you know, one player can easily over or underperform in a single game. Yeah. But if you do it slowly, and most models tend to be conservative on this. You will probably be behind in picking certain players against the field. Mm. So, yeah, it would be great if we can have a predictive modeler in one of the future episodes in the podcast, actually, to discuss some of this. Yeah, that's a good idea. should invite some guests. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, actually, I'll be off for a couple of weeks here for summer holidays. So maybe you want to invite someone who can take my seat. Yeah, <laughs> Let's I was, see. yeah thinking about it, yep. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I just want to be sure I get, can get my seat back, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can. Uh, okay, all right, that's good. Uh, all right, well, final question for this episode, and it's from uh, the FPL composer. And he asked, I'm a big fan of expected data. However, is there any research or study that supports expected data as a predictive tool? What do you make of that? Yeah, I think each modeler is doing this internally. Privately, I know mm. FPL Review has a blog post on sharing his findings about the model performance. I think predictive data is getting better in FPL in general, but mm -hmm. claiming your model is the best or better than your competition, it requires more data. <laughs> mm. The entire part is <laughs> me complaining about lack of data, it sounds like, but yeah, well... So if you have a model and if you have tried it only one season, it might not be enough to measure the performance. So you can still try, obviously. But most of these models uh, are also paid, so they might be reluctant to share analysis of their performance. Right. Yeah. Independently, I mean, for my own personal reasons, I'm working on assessing the, the quality of expected data uh, based on what I have collected this season. But okay. I probably won't share my findings publicly unless the model owner is okay with it because yeah. uh, some of these people are selling these data. They are paid sources. So, yeah. Um, but some other people express they're okay with me sharing the results. I mean, their results specifically. But, well, I need to sit down first and complete the analysis because, yeah, yeah I still haven't finished it. But okay. I'm hoping to collect data next season too, and also the you know season after that. Hopefully, I can comment about whether the models are getting better or worse in general. Maybe next year, this time. Okay. Well, I'll take another note for uh, next year. <laughs> <laughs> I keep making promises. So that's something uh, you can keep yourself busy with, sir. Top. True. <laughs> if you still have some time left. <laughs> So, yeah, it's again then my pleasure and also my honor to close today's episode. And, you know, oh, man, <laughs> what, uh, how much did we cover again? It was, yeah. it was a lot. Well done, sir. Top. Great analysis. Um, thanks, everyone, for the questions. And thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get notified when the next episode comes out. Or follow us on Twitter. For me, that's at BelfiBB. And for Sir Top, it's at Sir Top Bilal. We'll be back again next week. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.